Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am your host, Kim McCall. If you want to find out more about life beyond the physical dimension, this is the place to be. We will be having conversations to expand your consciousness and help you reconnect with your essential self. But given the subject matters a request, don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. This is episode 7, where I'm talking with Ulysses Schlosser. Ulysses is a Brazilian psychologist who has been exploring consciousness through the Brazilian framework of conscienciology for more than 30 years. He spoke with me from his home in Foz do Iguaçu, or Iguaçu Falls, Brazil. We had a few audio issues, including a neighborhood dog who wanted to get in on the act. But if consciousness research is your thing, I encourage you to stay tuned. Ulysses shares two of his research passions, parapheromenology, that is, the scientific study of phenomena related to psychic experiences, and cosmoconsciousness, the experience of clear perceptions of our connectedness with the cosmos. Along the way, we explore what science needs to look like to account for non-physical experiences, the nature of perception and reality, and much more. Ulysses, welcome and thank you so much for coming on Multidimensional Evolution. Thank you, Ken. It's really a very good opportunity to participate and contribute with, with your work. It's fascinating to spread these kinds of ideas and it's very good to get closer to you and to your work. Thank you. And uh, yeah, look, talking about you know important ideas, I really love some of the concepts that you've shared with me around cosmoconsciousness and para-phenomenology. And those are the topics we'll get into a bit later in this conversation. But first, I think it would be really interesting for us to understand a little bit about how you got into these kinds of topics. Like, how did it start for you? You know, now you, you study conscienciology and you're very involved in that, but it probably wasn't always like that for you. Well, since my childhood, I was very interested in, in go deeper in many subjects of life. I remember when I were a teenager, I wanted to understand death. And I was really interested about what was death. How could the organism uh, end their lives? And when I was 14 years old, I started studying by myself. I went to libraries and I, I remember that the deep sense of life started to grow inside myself. And by the end of my, maybe when I was 18 year old, I started studying Chinese philosophy. And I, I really went deep in this subject. And I loved to read Chinese books on the beach, 
inside the forest. I went to the, I, I used it to go to the forest to read Chinese books. So, so Ulysses, can you just set a scene for us there? Where are you when you're doing this? I live in Rio de Janeiro, in there, in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. Mm-hmm. Um, I live there and I, I, I knew the city very well. And I use it to go alone to the beach. I use it to go alone to the forest. We have um, a national park in the center of the city. Its name is National Park of Tijuca. Mm-hmm. In Portuguese, we say Parque Nacional da Tijuca. And I love to go there inside the park and to relax and to read, to think about. Chinese philosophy and I started feeling very different sensations and I started to develop some kind of communication with something that I didn't know what it was Uh, it seemed to me that something used to come from the forest uh, towards me and that kind of thing Something outside of you, like when you talk about a communication. Something, person. something, yes. Now I know that it was energy and also extra physical consciousness. Mm. So I, I started feeling and, and perceiving those phenomena all by myself. I really never w- uh, went to any school or any institution. Um, everything started. Um, by myself, I was alone in the forest, and I started developing communication with entities. That I, I, by the time I thought that those entities that they used to come from the forest. Yes. But um, a few months after that, I discovered that I was able to call those energies to call those entities and I started developing that kind of communication also inside my apartment I lived close near the forest okay it wasn't so far from the forest yeah after a few months a friend of mine uh, came to me and he told me that I could study a little bit more to understand those phenomena and he gave me a few books and I started looking for different books in the libraries books about bioenergies and about and what kind uh, of books what kind of books because I this would have been quite some time ago yes um, what kind of books were there books on theosophy okay uh, theosophy I started reading something about theosophy and about uh, out-of-body experience. And this friend of mine, um, he was a psychic person. I didn't know that he was a psychic by that time. And he perceived that something was happening with me. And this friend, he gave me a very good attention. And he invited me to visit an exposition about um, esoteric culture in Rio de Janeiro. It was a very big exposition 
mm. with um, a lot of people um, exposing workshops, um, like a convention, a big convention, a convention, yes. yes. And there, um, Professor Valdo Vieira was there to um, work in a kind of workshop. And my friend got acquainted with Professor Valdo Vieira. I didn't saw him there because I was interested in something different. I, by that time, I was very interested in Kirlian graphy. Oh, yes. So I spent a lot of time um, in, in another workshop. So, so those are those are those are photographs taken of auras and those kinds of things, right? That's it. That's it. So after the convention, my friend invited me to go to the, the house of Professor Valdivier because Professor Valdivier invited him to his house, and this was in the year of um, 1984. 1984. Mm. So my friend went there, and he came to me that it was amazing. He could perceive a really a very interesting psychic person there. Professor Waldo was a very interesting person. But I didn't believe by that time. I didn't want to go there. I don't know why. So after a few weeks, I decided to go. <laughs> okay. And I got acquainted with Professor Waldo for the first time. But... Uh, it seemed to me. It, it seemed to me that he was. Um, he, he liked to make exhibition exhibitions. Um, a lot. So he was very. He was very. Um, when you say exhibitions, what do you mean? Um, like a show, like um, something to um, to make other people impress it. Yes. So to create. Uh, like a chalk in the people, and I, I though that kind of thing, I, I wasn't interested in that kind of thing. I wanted to go deeper in understanding and really to study in a serious way. So, I, in the first moment, I didn't want to go there, but after a few weeks, I went there. <laughs> I liked it, I liked it, but I continued thinking that. It, it was like a show. Okay, but I could get um, some, some knowledge. I could read new books. Uh, I got acquainted with his first book, um, Projections of Consciousness. It, it, it is an extra physical diary of Professor Valvo. Of his out-of-body travel, right? Yes, 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 yes. But in 1985... I went to live in Sao Paulo, another city, and I, I, I was distant from Rio de Janeiro, and by that time, um, Professor Valdo just worked in his house, and three, after three years, in 1988, I looked for this kind of information again, and I discovered that he created um, an institution, an international institution. And as I was living in Sao Paulo, uh, they created also um, an office in Sao Paulo. And I went there and I started studying and participating like a 
as a volunteer there. And from that time, from that moment on, I continued until today. So, so you've been really involved for 30, for 30 years with Conscienciology? Yes. As yes. a volunteer and researcher? Um, yes, just, yes. Just one thing that occurred to me when, when you, I want to go back to when you were 14 and, um, you know, fascinated with death and then fascinated with Chinese knowledge, old Chinese yes. philosophies. That is, that is quite, um, well, it certainly wasn't my teenage years. I wasn't uh, pursuing those topics. I think it's quite unusual. Did that seem to you at the time? Did you think something seems unusual or this was just normal for you? Well, I continue in the same way. And Chinese philosophy is really present in my life right now. Um, I'm trying to put all those things together. Mm. Uh, there are a few Chinese principles that I find them um, really very well connected with our cosmic knowledge, even um, with conscientiology, for instance. Yin and Yang. Do you understand? Yin, yep. yin, yin and Yang. Yeah. Well, I use those principles to understand perception and action. You see? Perception as something receptive, like the earth, and action like uh, something that uh, includes a power, uh, a movement. Mm. So these uh, these two principles, I started thinking about them, and I created a new conception that I call it epistemic category. So can I you, started thinking. Sorry, can you say that again? Sorry, Ulysses. Epistemic category. Epistemic category. Yes. Category, perception, and action. For instance, I started thinking about those two categories and after that i was able to identify other categories and now i developed a new theory on epistemology that i call it epistemic categories of consciousness and now i work with seven categories but perception and action they still remain <laughs> you see they seem they seem very fundamental could could you just briefly yes. could you briefly explain what epistemic means and what is an epistemic category yes epistemic is the quality of a deep knowledge when you are interested in terms of the origin and the quality of the knowledge if you want to to think if something is true or not, you are thinking about epistemology. Right. So epistemology is, is a part of philosophy interested about truth and the origin, origin and the quality of knowledge. So if I, I want to know if something is true or not, I am trying to look and to think in an epistemic way. It's different from logic. Logic mm. tells me if something is valid or not. If if the if my think, if if my thought 
it's organized or not. But it doesn't it doesn't imply about truth. If you want to decide if something is real or not, you may look for epistemic foundation. It's different. Mm. For instance, for instance, if you have um, a ring and you want to know if it is made of gold, you may ask for a paper. When you buy gold in a store, you may ask for a paper. A confirmation. That, that, it's that paper will tell you, will show you that it's valid. It may be gold, but you're not sure. If you really want to know if the material is gold, you may um, provide some kind of experiment to find the point of fusion or to know uh, really the specification of the reactions of gold as a metal. When you look for this kind of information, you are looking for a kind of epistemic knowledge. You are looking for a very deep foundation. It's different mm. from, it's very different from uh, validation, you see? The validation is um, in the field of logic. And the truth is in the field of epistemology. So epistemology is a, a different field from logic. Yeah. And <laughs> it see? sounds like a very, very important field to come in to the study of consciousness, which has so of many course, subtle, of course. So many subtle phenomena. Yes, if you think, oh, this psychic phenomena is real or not. Okay? So you may look for foundations to answer this kind of question. Mm. So let's let's get into that a little bit. Um, this relates really to the concept of the paraphenomenology. So when 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 we think about paraphenomenology, uh, for me, I guess it it evokes. We're talking about phenomena that don't relate to the physical dimension. They are beyond yes. the physical dimension. Yes. Um, and so we're dealing with things that are very subtle and also things that conventional science hasn't accepted yet, doesn't really accept. Yes. So, so maybe we could talk a little bit. Could, could you explain a bit how, how do, I guess, first of all, what is the foundation for these phenomena? And, and I think in particular it might be useful to explain how they relate to our different bodies, our different vehicles of manifestation. Okay. Well, as you, as we know, um, conventional science in general, uh, we we don't have equipment to detect so far uh, extra physical manifestation, but um, we have our senses. Uh, for instance, if you have a dream, you are able to see that you had a dream. Everybody knows that because people are able to identify mental images. So it's very hard to prove that you had a dream. It's very hard. But in general, people accept because mental images are 
like unities of foundation. So in my theory, I'm using this kind of foundation, of foundation, mental image. For instance, in clairvoyance, if we talk about clairvoyance, telepathy, energetic perception, for instance, energetic perception. If you have sensations in your skin or inside your body or around your body, corresponding to that sensation, you may also develop a kind of mental image that corresponds to that sensation. So when we talk about perceptions, we realize that there is a kind of unity that we call percept or para-percept. If we, we think about para-percept. So that's a unit, a unit of perception. Yes, it's a mental image full of content. Can I just okay. ask though, because you, you started with dreams and what came to mind for me when I hear talking about dreams is that a lot of people don't remember that they have any dreams at all. Um, but yet science has established that dreams correlate with certain measurable cycles in the brain. And so based on that, we can, you know, people will say, well, we, we know we all dream, we just don't all remember it. But there is a physical correlation that one can measure okay. um, through the brain waves. Okay. Is that similar to? Yes, it is. But um, the hard task, the basic task, is to distinguish, to separate what, what comes from your imagination or the images that you create inside yourself. You may separate that kind of mental image from another kind, the image that you perceive, mm -hmm. that you are not able to build, that the, the other kind of image, you simply receive it. it. That is the content of perception. It's very hard to make this kind of distinction, yes. but it, it is possible to develop experiments that may show clearly to anyone this kind of distinction you see it is it is um, hard to make that distinction it is even hard to make that distinction just with something you look at with your physical eyes because as soon as you okay. look at something okay it, bring, it, it brings up it brings up okay uh, yeah. yes if, if you talk about dreams it's very hard to make this distinction because it's not easy to control dreams but it is easy if you, you may develop um, um, clairvoyance as a beginner. Uh, to develop clairvoyance is very easy. It's not difficult. And for a beginner, it's very interesting to make the distinction between something that you are able to imagine and another thing that you are not able to imagine that simply occurs. It, it happens to you. Mm -hmm. It comes to you different images. If you, want, if you are a beginner as a researcher, um, if you're studying, it's very important for anyone to clarify this kind of distinction, you see? And after that, um, the doors of paraphenology, they may be open. Mm. <laughs> you see, it's another stage. 
Well, it sounds like uh, first you have to open the doors of, for example, of clairvoyance. And I'm very intrigued. You, you said it's easy to develop clairvoyance. Maybe you yes. could tell us a little bit about okay. how you would do that. Okay. If, if someone is listening and they've never experienced a clairvoyant experience, okay. how can they go about um, developing something like that and having such an experience? And maybe even what do you exactly mean when you say clairvoyance? We say clairvoyance because I think people have a lot of different ideas about what okay. that means. Okay. Well, in conscientiology, we study a very consistent hypothesis um, about this coincidence, the possibility of separation between the physical body and the extra-physical body. Um, and to get this kind of separation, we call it this coincidence, we must um, go deep in terms of relaxation. So if you can sit down and relax deeply, relax. And if you have the opportunity to be together with another person in front of you, another experimenter, another researcher. And if you are able to look um, maybe in a distance of two meters between you and the other person, if you can look um, into his face, if you stare calmly, relaxing, for more than five or 10 minutes, relaxing, relaxing, relaxing. And very probably any person will start seeing something different in terms of color, in terms of the quality of what is happening between those two persons, some kind of alteration or disturbing in the ambience may rise. Okay. If um, somebody um, decides to perform this kind of experiment, something may happen. But if this kind of researcher studies a little bit to control energies, to use energies, to develop some kind of bridge between the two persons, exteriorize energies, if the person learns how to improve this coincidence, um, the quality of the clairvoyance may, may, may grow. It's, it's not difficult. And um, so, this so kind of that, yes, so, this kind of exercise, uh, I should say that it's not difficult, it's easy. Um, for instance, if you say that, oh, I have never had any kind of experience, in a few days, something may happen. And the person may say that it's perceiving something new, you see? Mm. So, so you sit down, you relax, and then you, you enter this, 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 this coincidence happens where your, your non-physical body, your psychosoma, yes. separates from the physical yes. a, little, a little bit. We're not having yes. a full out-of-body experience. And yes. so are you suggesting then when we're having the clairvoyant experience, does that mean we are perceiving things through this other body and not through the physical body? Yes, that's it. Yes. Uh, mm, theoretically, we may think that deep relaxation may provide uh, 
some discoincidence, some kind of separation between the physical body and the extra-physical body. It's possible that someone may, may not get this coincidence if the person is emotionally um, with some kind of um, difficulty, emotional difficulty, something like that. Uh, we may call it also some kind of energetic block, energetic difficulty. Yes. It may happen. It may happen. But if you are relaxed, if everything is all right, if you may have a kind of emotional, a, a, a good way of life in emotional terms, you, you may be able to have the first signs of clairvoyance. It happens. So the principle uh, is physiological. It may work because um, we are um, trying to use physiological principles. Experimentation may show this kind of possibility, and we have theories. Um, uh, the field of projectology, we have a, a lot of books where we may find explanations in terms of physiology. There is a book written by Professor Waldo Vieira. The name of the book is Projectology. This book was written in 1986. And this kind of theory is very good, is very well explained. The theory of the different bodies, you mean? Of the physio, yes, the parapsychology. Yes. Yep. yes, we call it holosomatic. The, the holosomatic, the holosoma is the set of uh, different bodies, the physical body, the energetic body, the emotional body, and the mental body. So that's not only a theory, because if you have a, um, if you have experience by yourself, you may check this condition. It's not difficult. It's not difficult. But For it depends. On, yes, it depends on will, self-determination. It's like uh, you may be persistent in your practice like yoga like meditation you may be persistent so you may get some result it's not difficult yeah it just takes time mm -hmm. and yes well and and so so then i guess i'm curious you have this this concept we know we have these different bodies we understand that from from all these studies and I understand your 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 wish with that that exploration of paraphenomenology is to deepen our understanding of all the different experiences that they can cause us in our physical life. Is that is that right? Yes, it is. But um, I think that the scientific problem is the big problem. That's important because um, psychic phenomena. We hear about it for a long time. In anywhere, yes, we may find books. Uh, our challenge right now is to make science on that subject. It's to make science. This and is the, the challenge. That's the challenge, you see. So we may find foundations to build theories that may give us condition to practice research protocols. Um, if I am able 
to provide you information for you to organize a research protocol, that's important, you see. So, uh, so I that's guess the I way we're trying to work. I have a couple of questions around that. Um, because I guess my question, my main question is when you say we've got to make science out of this, um, the term science is, is a bit complicated, I think, because in, in, in many ways it seems to um, kind of correlate with physical science. And so things are scientific if they can be proved in a laboratory uh, with machines or in a test tube and you get certain results. No, that's not necessary. And, and so, well, that's, that's the sense I get. Your, your, your use of the term science is broader. Yes, of course, of course. Um, so how, how do you see, what is it that is scientific about your approach to these studies? Is it the repetition of the study? Um, no, no. You see, phenomenology. Phenomenology was proposed in the 19th century by Edmund Husserl. And phenomenology, classical phenomenology was proposed to help to know the structures of consciousness, you see. And right now, uh, phenomenology is the main methodology used to investigate consciousness around the world, you see. Um, it's possible to make science with descriptions, observation, inner attention, we may improve our descriptions and we may find new categories to describe the phenomena that we are able to perceive. So if we create a better terminology, if we get to know more details about the phenomena we perceive, we may build a new way in terms of science. So descriptions are very important. Um, you may think about dreams, how to investigate dreams. We may use descriptions, memories. So that's the information that anyone may use, may, may talk about it. Mm. So um, the report, of uh, experimenter, it's very important. So we may create categories to give a better condition for an experimenter to report what is happening. You see? Yes. Um, two, two years ago, I heard a uh, presentation of a scientist. It was in Helsinki, Finland. It, it was a woman, a physician, and she was investigating mental health in spiritual mediums, you see? Okay. And she was interested in to say that this kind of people, they are not crazy. They are healthy people. And they have a very important reports to say about their perceptions. And they have good health, good mental health. Yes. So it was very interesting. And this was a conference. It was a world conference. We called it the TSC, the Science of Consciousness. This is the major world conference in terms of consciousness research. It happens every year. And they are able to put together dozens of universities, researchers in high level, 
And right now, we have many different kinds of research. So phenomenology is a field that considers in high level the reports. So we may create really new categories for experimenters to communicate. And that's epistemology. Mm. We may um, create a kind of approximation between communication, the terms, and the phenomena. And we may create some kind of uh, confidence in terms of reports. Um, it's very interesting. If I invite a scientist, a, a skeptic, some, uh, a person that he doesn't believe in psychic phenomena, okay? Yes. This kind of person is the best experimenter. So <laughs> if he, in the beginning, he says, I don't believe it, and after a few experiments, if he says, something is happening, <laughs> that's great. You see? That's what I'm looking for. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's it. And have, right you, now, have you been able to have uh, that kind of have you been able to have that kind of guest in your experiments? Uh, not yet, but I'm looking for it. Okay. First, I'm, I, I'm right now developing new protocols. I'm right now finishing um, research program. I have a read finished um, a book that is it is a dictionary. I developed it to help develop research protocols because I could. Uh, identifying a lot of new categories for us to use in terms of communication, detection of paraphenomena, paraphysiology. So I may use those categories at first to teach people to recognize what is happening. And after that, those people may use those new categories to see what is happening, you see? Mm. So if I invite somebody to my laboratory and this person may learn new information, new practice. After a few weeks, this person will say, well, something is happening. So at first, I may, uh, real, I may at first uh, execute a kind of protocol to record the initial report in the first day what is the message? What this person is able to say? Maybe he will say, nothing is happening. So I may uh, report every day. And after a few weeks, I expect that new results may come. You see? Yeah. So I, I call it paraphenomenology, paraphenomenological methodology. So there are, there are a lot of details. It's a kind of school. but it's not only a kind of teaching. Uh, we will be investigating. We'll, we'll be recording the reports. So I expect to find um, changes in the reports. You see? So Absolutely. I expect, yes. I expect to find some scientific result in this way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think anybody, uh, those of us who've who've worked with energy long enough, and who've and who've worked with lots of people that you know do energy exercises for the first yes. time, you usually yes. experience that where p 
people have never worked with energy. They don't have any sort of thought about this. And as soon as they do the exercises, they have these new perceptions that they didn't have before, right? That yes. seems to be the same kind of principle. Yeah. Yes. You see, Kim, uh, Kim uh, I think there is a kind of wrong way of thinking when people think that psychic phenomena happens only spontaneously. No, we may develop it. We may work together with extra physical helpers. You see? Yeah. Uh, that's completely possible. We have this kind of experience. And our challenge right now is to create a new way to show that it is possible to make science to develop those skills. We are working in this way, you see? Absolutely. And look, on that, I, I mean, that, that really leads me to the next point, which is this concept of cosmo-consciousness, um, which I know is another research area of yours. And uh, that's one of those phenomena that is especially associated, I think, with spontaneous experiences. People have them, those, those experiences, they're meditating and suddenly... They have these deep, what, what, what okay. in, Eastern, in Eastern philosophies people call samadhi, or people okay. um, maybe take take some. Sometimes people take some drugs and they have those experiences where they feel one with everything and one with the cosmos. And what I'm hearing from you is that you're developing a methodology to help us reliably tap into that experience. Yes. So, so could you talk a little bit about? First of all, what is Cosmo Consciousness for you? And then what would be your methodology to help us have that experience? Of course. Well, Cosmo Consciousness is a top experience, advanced, when our perception of reality is really um, right, something that fits with reality. Um, when the things you think are exactly the things you perceive. And those two possibilities are really fitted, are, are really together. So your intellectual abilities, they are really they are exactly the same as your perception. So you may expand your consciousness. It's very, very difficult to get this condition. Um, I don't know if you heard about Walt Whitman. He, he's an American poetry poet. Oh, yes, poet, and, yes. Yes. And he writes about perception. He writes about the cosmos. He writes about feelings. Um, there is another scientist, another physician. His name. Is so, are you saying? Sorry, are you saying that so, when Walt Whitman is writing that he is he is writing from a place of cosmo consciousness? Is that what is reflected? Yes, yes, that's it. Because uh, his perceptions are very interesting. It seems that he was a man that could feel the cosmos, that could feel other persons, other consciousness in a sharp way. And Richard Book was a Canadian physician. And he was born in England, but he moved to Canada very early. He's well known as a Canadian physician. He wrote a, a classical book. The title is Cosmic Consciousness. I study 
in the evolution of human mind. That's the title of the book. Mm -hmm. And in this book, Richard Book, he analyzes 50 personalities. Walt Whitman is one of them. He analyzes, for instance, Buddha, Jesus Christ, um, uh, uh, let me see another unknown person, Honoré uh, de Balzac, mm -hmm. and many others, 50 personalities. And he considers Walt Whitman one of the best examples in terms of consciousness development. And he took him as a model, as a good example. It's very interesting that in Richard Book, he created a term that he calls cosmic sense. Cosmic sense. It is a kind of way of life. Maybe if you have already had an experience of cosmic consciousness, um, after that, probably you may change your way of life. You may feel existence with no limits. You may feel that life has no end and things like that. And the consideration of fraternity, um, the feelings of other persons, uh, another many other new values may arise. So Richard Book calls it uh, the cosmic sense. But it is possible that you may find someone that may live in this way with a cosmic sense, but this person may already uh, have, uh, maybe he didn't experience it yet, the cosmic consciousness. So if you consider this hypothesis, we may think that from zero until a hundred, we may find intermediate stages. So we call this kind of intermediate phenomenon the expansion of consciousness. So in daily life, it's possible for anyone to expand consciousness a little bit. And you may develop this condition until the maximum uh, capacity. The maximum should be the experience of cosmic consciousness. And the, for the beginner, the expansion of consciousness may be simply to get more information about your life, uh, for you to be well fitted with your perceptions, with the feelings you have. For instance, what do you think about yourself? What do you think about your feelings? If you are well adjusted, so you may be on the way to expand your consciousness. So I consider the expansion of consciousness a kind of coincidence between your images of perception related to your images of imagination, for instance. Okay. When you have a kind of coincidence about uh, between um, your mental foundations, you may be on the way. 
So, so can I just can I just try to to just to make sure I'm following correctly? What comes up for me is that um, basically that we have these filters. Often we have these filters in life. So I I notice something and then I have certain old beliefs about it, and they 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 lay over my my experience, even of myself. You know, I have certain self talk that's always there, and I see myself in a certain way it's like i'm looking at myself through this particular lens and then one day maybe i'll have an insight and that lens gets lifted and i i see myself with greater clarity i don't have that old story anymore that would be an, yes. a, a moment of expansion of consciousness right okay okay, okay is that, okay. Is, that, is, that is, is that correct is that where you're going yes yes and there is something very important in your words um, um Tell me if you feel that if you feel that it's necessary for you um, to not judge your perceptions. You see, it's very important for you to consider that your perceptions about yourself and about the world they are what they are. You see, mm -hmm. and it's very important for us not to fight against reality. We may accept it. At first, we may accept it. And in a second moment, it's possible for us to work to change the things we want to change. But the adjustment of perception is very, very important. If at the first moment, we began to judge our perceptions, And we, if we don't want to accept them, that's a wrong way. So I may tell you that prejudice, 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 is the, prejudice is the worst thing. If you have, if we have prejudice, we are in the opposite way of the expansion of consciousness. Because what means prejudice? What means it? It's a wrong thought. Okay. Some, something we've judged already. That's how I always interpret yes, it. We it, pre, it prejudged it. Yes. Simply, it doesn't correspond to reality. Okay? Simply. It's very simple to understand. So we may look, we may look for the way that corresponds to reality. And if we think, what is reality? Our feelings, our perceptions. Okay? Basically, it's very important, our feelings, okay, the reality of our feelings. It's very important. Yes. I was talking about Walt Whitman. Uh, he was able to put this kind of category in high level. You see? So, uh, very probably, his consciousness was very, very well adjusted Uh, in terms of his world, his cosmos, his consciousness, you see? And the effects are very, very interesting. Well, we're, we are now talking about mental categories, but um, we may talk about also about energetic categories. So our extra-physical energies, they may improve a lot, when you are well adjusted to reality everything may change 
the quality of your energies, the quality of your personal ethics. It's very important. Okay. Mm. But the foundations, I, I'm, uh, I, I am now trying to develop a new theory using mental images to, to explain all those things and also to educate myself. You see? And so what are these mental images that you talk about? What, what, where do they come from? Basically, the percept. There is the image of perception. And another thing that I call imago. Imago is the image of imagination. That image there are, that I am able to create. The image of perception I am not able to create. For instance, right now, if there is someone hearing the words I am saying, you are not able to change this. You are simply hearing this sound. You cannot change it. You understand? But, but the way it lands might be different for a different person. Two people okay. might be listening to us and, and, and hearing. In a second, moment, in a second moment, imagination may work. In a second moment. But in the first moment, perception yeah. is working. In the first moment. In a second moment, your imagination will uh, invade. Will, uh, will, will be Influence. working. Yeah. So you may have a very special skill to identify when you start using your imagination, when you start using your intellect. It's very important to identify the difference between the perceptual activity and separate this kind of activity from the imagination, the imaginative activity. Mm -hmm. We call it imagistic, imagistic. Yeah. This term, imagistic, we are generalizing all the fields related to imagination, you see? So our inner work is to educate our imagination to be very well adjusted to our perceptions. And when our imaginations, they really fit uh, to, they really fit to our perception, so we may feel a sensation that everything is very well right, everything is very well adjusted. So this kind of sensation is not common. This is a very, uh, this is a kind of advanced expansion of consciousness, mm. because to perceive reality isn't easy. It's not easy. See, science is a collection of errors, mistakes. That's science. You, you understand? Yeah. Science is a collection of mistakes. The hypothesis, the propositions, we, are, we understand that it fails. It's very different from a kind of absolute perception. When you love someone and you are sure that you love someone, it's a real love. It's a true love and you live this kind of reality, you may expand your consciousness. You see? Yeah. <laughs> How can science explain it? <laughs> it's different. Definitely. And so how, if someone is listening and they, they want to 
experience this expansion of consciousness it sounds you know you're emphasizing it is difficult so it might not be something you just do in the okay. moment but what would be okay. some techniques that you would what would be a technique that you're exploring to, okay. to achieve that so um i'd say pay more attention to your experience to your history to your memories and try to not to give a very big value to your opinions to your convictions if you like to give opinions those opinions may be only result of your imagination something that you may create it's very different from your memories if you have memories memories correspond to information from reality history corresponds to information from reality the same as experience and those kinds of categories they lead to reality so when you are talking to someone and you identify that the other person loves to give a lot of opinions about everything <laughs> it's very different if you talk to another person who talks about experience about memories about history about facts mm. so we are able to educate ourselves for us to move to our reality so we may give more value to memories experience history and it's different from opinions convictions ideology you see yeah it's a kind of inner education so you will be given more attention to your percepts and you you will be able to educate your imagination so technically if you are able to improve your clairvoyance uh, it's very interesting when you may identify mental images of perception they're clear you are not able to change them they are there you see mm. uh, for instance when you are relaxed in your bed when you are waking up in the morning if you didn't open your eyes yet observe your thoughts if your mind is completely relaxed without thoughts you are not thinking about anything in that situation it's possible that you may perceive something you may perceive even a thought that is not yours that's perception and if you are deeply relaxed and you decide to think about something you will notice that your thought is something that sounds very strong in your mind it's very different so you may identify when you are thinking and when you are not thinking when you are not thinking you may be open to perceptions so you may provide this kind of experiment when you want but it's very difficult along the day it's easy in the morning for instance mm -hmm. or if you are inside the laboratory it's important for you to identify uh, these 
tiny difference between the percept and the imago. The image of imagination, the imago, and the image of perception, the percept. Yes. So if you are able to identify this kind of difference and you move forward, living along the day, paying attention to other people, paying attention in your dialogues, paying attention in extra physical perceptions, you may put reality in a higher level as you have never put it before. You see? Yes. And it really so sounds like the, the, the tool for that, it really sounds like, is being able to be still, to become deeply relaxed, and to observe, right? To have this sense of observation of ourselves, of our inner life. Yes, 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 that's it. In general, in, in meditational practice, in yoga, you may find this kind of orientation. You may find it. But right now in Concentrology, we are trying to move a step forward. We're trying to make science and we're trying to develop techniques uh, for us to really improve the expansion of consciousness. Maybe I am not able right now to perform a cosmic consciousness, the total experience. Okay, I'm not able, but I can tell you that I'm able to work along the day with an expanded consciousness, maybe above average people. Maybe I can say that, um, because I am working with those categories for a long time. Um, basic phenomen phenomenology, the conventional phenomenology that Edmund Husserl developed, it helps a lot. Husserl, he talked about that. So who was Husserl? Uh, yes, he was a philosopher, and he has a classical book written in 1931. The, tit uh, the title of the book is Cartesian Meditations, Introduction to Phenomenology. In this book, he presents the phenomenological methodology. The phenomenological methodology is simply what we are talking about in the last few minutes. You must suspend your judgment and you may educate yourself with perception. Um, it's, a kind, it's a kind of attempt to get closer to reality. And this methodology is right now a kind of predominant methodology. It's a mainstream methodology in terms of human sciences. Um, in, in many fields of conventional science, um, phenomenology is a very important methodology. It's a kind of um, effort to make um, strong science using philosophy. Uh, of course, we agree that uh, phenomenology begins with philosophy, but it's fully uh, applicable to science. You see, it, it, it was developed to be used in uh, humanities. Well, I would like to, we, we, we're almost out of time, Ulysses. And before we go, um, I would like to just hear a little bit from you about 
where you are located. You, you're involved with the Center for Higher Studies of Conscienciology. And I, I guess you've mentioned a lab a few times um, okay. where, you, where you conduct your, or, or where you're looking at conducting your studies into paraphenomenology. Um, can, you tell us, can you tell us a little bit about that center? Of course. Well, um, for the last 13 years, I have been living here in Foz do Iguaçu, in English. Iguaçu Falls. Iguaçu. Yes, Iguaçu Falls. It is in the south of Brazil. We have here uh, very big rivers and we have uh, amazing waterfall. And we have a lot of natural energy here. Because of that, uh, our group decided to install here, to build here a research center. And we have a community of researchers living here. Uh, especially, I work at the, the Center of High Studies of Conscientiology. It is an institution. It, it is a campus. It is very big. We have a, a lot of space, a lot of nature. Um, we have laboratories. And right now we are trying to really develop science in a different way, as in trying to make something different from mysticism, from religion. We don't work with those categories, with religion or mysticism. It's, it's not easy to make science with consciousness and... You know, to work with psychic phenomena. It's not easy, but we're trying. Right now, I, I dedicate myself to develop a program of research, really to perform research protocols, as we talked a few minutes ago, okay? To work with different groups of people, experienced people, and people without any expertise. Okay, mm -hmm. and to compare and, and to compare results, and it's very important for us also to develop partnership with universities, with other institutions that don't work with consensuality. It's very important for us to work together with people who think in another way from us, with people who, who think different. It's very mm -hmm. important for us. So in general, every, everybody wants to get closer with those people who agree with you, okay? But I think that right now our challenge is to get closer to people who disagree with us, you see? Yes. For us really to show results, to make research together. If I find a researcher that thinks in another way from me, but he agrees to work together, that's the best. You see, <laughs> because I really very confident to get good results. So, so if you're listening to this right now and you're a researcher who has some kind of interest in consciousness but has <laughs> never thought about never thought about it quite the way Ulysses talked about it, you can reach out to him. Is that what, <laughs> would that be right? <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> That's it. And and also, um, I I know you you have some practical. Um, I guess you're looking for practical applications because what we talked about today, a lot of it might seem very esoteric and, and philosophical perhaps, 
uh, just but but actually you're looking at really practical applications and i know you're you're involved in in working in the prison system yes so yes, so yes, yes. Could you maybe just say a little bit about how you see these understandings and this knowledge could improve outcomes in, you know, really fairly um, uh, contentious and 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 challenging environments like like a prison yes. system? Well, it may work in different levels. Mm, at a first level, I feel very well when I am able to perceive in a better way what is happening with another person with another person in front of me i work as a psychologist i take our, i take care of people and yeah, all that help, helps me a lot and in my work i am also engaged as an activist i'm trying to develop and to work together with people to, who likes to develop social care, especially in the care that is possible to provide in terms of community, small communities, to get a better life, you see. And if we have um, a quality of life in small communities, I suppose that we may decrease the probability of someone to commit a crime. Yes. You see, that's, that's very important. And in terms of uh, global concerns, I participate in international organization, especially one organization. It's an NGO. It's called APGC. It is Alternative Perspectives and Global Concerns. Right now, our organization, we have, uh, we, we could get uh, the special status in the United Nations. So we we have a very good expectation that we may uh, use uh, our knowledge, for instance, in terms of expansion of consciousness to talk about global leaders in the United Nations. Um, four years ago, I had the opportunity to participate in international conferences in the United Nations and for, for more than one opportunity. And I could find um, normal people that I am able to say that they live with cosmic sense. We may find this kind of people anywhere you see, especially in the in the Indians of the United Nations, we have there a lot of very good people, I could say advanced people. And naturally, do you think they, that is because may, of the and because of the high level of the quality of their intentions, yes, of their work, of their the quality of everything. So they are they are dealing with realities, you see. They are engaged with realities. So I suppose that my theory about the expansion of consciousness is right. Because when I have the opportunity to find this kind of people, I can see 
they are expanded. You see? And very probably, uh, I, I have a, a very good hope that our books, our texts about cosmic consciousness, we will be able to talk about that in the United Nations. You see? That we have sounds... published a few books. Yes, we have published a few books in Cambridge Scholars. It's a publishing house, it's very well known. And we publish it about cosmic consciousness there, you see? So we are trying to write about it in a serious way. We intend to talk about it in, in, in high-level groups, you see? So I see that we have very good perspectives. When we're talking with someone intelligent, this person may hear you, you see? <laughs> it's very simple. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, that's, I think that's very exciting to, to know that um, at the level of, that high level of politics and, and really global community building, these kinds of ideas will find, will find a space. And I think that's a good place to stop for today. So thanks so much, Ulysses, for coming on. And um, if people want to get in touch with you in some way, there will definitely be information about you know how to do that on on the website for this podcast. But how else could people get in touch with you? Well, maybe the best way, maybe my email. I don't know if you have any suggestion, but the email, the, the email address, yeah, maybe a good way. It is my first name dot my last name gmail dot com. So Ulysses. U-L-I-S-S-E-S dot, and my last name, S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And after at, that... At gmail.com. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you so much, Ulysses. And um, oh, yeah. I look forward to talking to you again on another episode. Yes, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity. You see, for me as a researcher, really to talk about it is very important because I can hear the words I say, I can hear the words you say, you're talking. And this kind of record is very important. I will study our words, <laughs> you see. <laughs> so it's a very important opportunity. Sometimes we say and we think things for the first time in our lives, so we may pay we may pay attention to it. So thank you very much. And I, I'd like to get in touch with new people, maybe find new partnership. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it with your friends to help others find it? The tune seeing us out is Axel Teslev's Akasha. Axel is a Finnish virtuoso who creates some awesome fusion music that is well worth checking out. You can find more information about today's guest, including any links to their work on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com. While you are there, check out my blog and my book, which you can purchase 
from any good bookstore if you want to show your love for the show. Finally, please get in touch. Whether you want to ask questions or simply share your experiences, I always love exchanging information and that is what this is all about for me. Otherwise, you'll catch me when you tune in again. Until then, I'm sending you my very best energies.